it's incredible how like when you are not in tune how your antenna picks up all the static noise Kiroga and I'm your host and this is Devotion Freeze presented by Fuel Talk, the show where we explore the story behind legends in the making and discover actionable knowledge we can leverage in our daily life. Performance sports, nutrition, meditation, innovation, creativity, heart intelligence, the evolution of technology and discovery of flow state are just a few of the topics we will dive into this year. So today, guys, we're going to be dropping into flow with Brandon Collinsworth with an awesome special segment at the end. It's actually going to be a meditation for athletes created for us by Sanam Erfani. She's actually an award-winning actress, artist, playwright, and healer. Sanam is particularly gifted in connecting individuals to their dreams while facilitating deeper self-awareness. The first Iranian-born graduate of Columbia University's Masters of Fine Arts acting program, she decided to become an actress after winning two back-to-back national titles in college acting competitions. She is featured in several upcoming indie films, including the Film Festival Award-winning feature, Imitation Girl. Sanam has toured internationally in theatrical productions and has been an athlete since her early teens. So don't forget to stay tuned towards the end, guys. We're going to have an amazing athletic meditation uh, created by Sanam. It's going to be stellar. All right. So Brandon Collinsworth is a human performance coach, master trainer for Nike, and works exclusively with some of the top names in sports, music, and business. And as a successful entrepreneur, he has spearheaded several projects, including his gym, Real Results Fitness, and my favorite, favorite, favorite project happening on the world right now on planet earth called warrior retreats you'll find out why so stay tuned brandon holds a master's degree in positive psychology from the university of pennsylvania and is currently writing his book finding your spaceship 15 ways to a life passion purpose and play brandon's purpose is to help people realize their true power fall deep in self-love, and create lives rooted in joy, abundance, adventure, and connection. Let's drop into Devotion Freeze. Mm -hmm. Totally discharged them. Discharged the situation. Discharged a year of going at it. Were you kind of like in um, in a haze? Like, could you really see? Could you see? What you're looking at, like physically, like literally, could you see them 
or you know was it kind of hazy? You know what's <laughs> I love I love talking to Pop Up. Yo, um, <laughs> dude, I know no, what you're talking no, about. It was interesting. I don't really remember seeing anybody. Exactly. I remember a moment in time that, and I don't really re remember why that was the notion I said it. Yeah. But as soon as it came it out, it just came out. It was the boom. truth just came truth. out, right? The truth. Audio. The truth came out. So the crazy thing about. Um, that you know why I was asking that is because like that happens bro when you're completely in a, a, a place that you can't really define like I, I feel it's gonna happen here it's already kind of happening where everything around you it starts getting hazy yeah. right and you kind of lose track of time and it's what this what we've been always talking about since we we met is the yeah. flow yeah. right um, so when you can kind of like Center yourself around this crazy storm. Um, you you don't see maybe visually, but you're completely connected yeah. from heart to heart with everyone, yeah. and you totally sense yeah. their positive or negative. Yeah. You know, you can totally get their vibe, yeah. right? Their energy yeah. that everyone talks about. Yeah. Uh, so, have you seen Anders' game? Anders' game? Yeah. Uh, yeah. In there, he says. Remind me that it was a movie, right? Yeah, the kids that were like the warrior pilots. Yes. And he's like, once you understand your enemy mm -hmm. and know how to defeat them or neutralize them, you end up loving them. Mm -hmm. And there was this moment where I understood this dude. Yeah. And I was like, fuck. Like, I felt for him, man. I was like, man. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I feel for you, bro. Yeah. Because. I'm just, I, I am a mirror, I'm a mirror of every dude who's bullied you, you know, he's, he's that guy that's never, he's always sure. been skinny, he's always probably been bullied, and I'm on sure. the other hand playing my sports and doing my, going through my own things, but I've never, I had to literally put myself in this guy's shoes and just like, mm -hmm. and it was crazy, because there was no hate, it was, yeah. like, it was like the purest form of love. Yeah, I felt in a very long time to push hands in Tai Chi. Yeah, yeah. Just the yin, bro. Yeah. Just I let it, and the energy just shifted. Yeah. Two days later, the space was open. I built real results to, you know, be a, 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 a platform and a, a launching pad for people to truly tap into their power. And now it's time for me to really step into my power, even on a higher level. Define power. You, power you mentioned power a few times. So what, what is what is power to you? Power to me is truth. Truth. Truth in my walk. Truth in and honoring the voice. Cheers. What do you got there? What is this? It's called a beetroot latte. A beetroot latte. Fantasy, yes. Oh wow. Super earthy. Yeah, truth in uh Truth is just being, living, living from authentic space, acknowledging the past, honoring the present, and, and recognizing the future. But it wasn't, you know, it's crazy. They always say, like, things don't happen on our time. Things happen on God's time or when it's supposed to. Or no time. What are, we, what are we working with here? You can put that on, on your wrist. Just put a few drops on your wrist. It, it takes me to a good spot. Has a, a bunch of different, um, you know, plants. Um, super, super good. Creator is, is out of New York. Her name is Victorine. She's, she's dope. She's really cool. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I always like uh, triggering as many oh, wow. senses as I can. 
you know? It's incredible. You talk about power, you talk about truth. We seek it, we do we create it, do we just do we just take it? Right. You know? What are what are we what are we doing with truth, man? Truth you is. Know? Truth is, right? Boom. Is everything. Yeah. Is is everything, right? Truth is resonance. What does that mean? Resonance is alignment. Alignment is what we talked about earlier, Pablo. Static noise, alignment. Truth is attunement to the right frequency. And that frequency, you know, it's, it's called many different names. But I, uh, I believe there's a direct umbilical cord to our higher selves. It's feeding us on this plane in this space. So talk to me, man. How long have you known about this truth, and uh, you know how, how long have have you been able to center yourself in the center of a room um, with other beings right. that you know were kind of coming at you in a certain way, and you were able to really hone in awareness not only of yourself right. but of others. Have you always been like that since you were little? I mean, how did you get to that point? Nah, man, this is a recent phenomenon. Tell me the Brandon story, man. We want to know who <laughs> yeah. you are. We want to know who you are. Yeah, this is a recent phenomenon. You know, um, I, I say it's a 33-year rite of passage, warrior's rite of passage. Each and every layer, each and every level has molded me to get me to right where I am. I, uh, I grew up on the east side of Las Vegas. Section 8 housing projects. It was me, my mom, my little sister. My mom had a heart full of love. She had a lot of willpower, but not really the way power to create a lifestyle that was necessarily ideal. In the long run, obviously, it was perfect. Mm -hmm. But growing up, it was definitely, uh, it, was, it was hard. Didn't have enough food. Our bottom of Maslow's hierarchy needs were met. So I learned at a really young age to survive and do whatever it takes to survive. Mm -hmm. You know, there's ghettos everywhere, but uh, the east side of Las Vegas is a little different. I yeah. think uh, I think the paradox of east side Las Vegas is that no matter where you are, you can look up and you can see these flashing neon lights of these casinos. <laughs> And it's kind of like laughing in your face, like, all right, well, here's where, here are these billion dollar structures erected. And we have people over here two miles away that are struggling to eat, struggling to put food on their table. Sure, that, I mean, that, that's an insane thought, actually. Um, that's super true because you have, you know, the strip and the concentration of wealth on that right. strip is just insane, right? right. Um, so how did it make you feel yeah. seeing those neon lights and knowing that there's so much there yet it feels like you know um, a huge ocean in between you That's and right. that um, when I think back to my childhood it was very bright it wasn't colorful for me it was about really surviving it's a survival man doing whatever it takes and it, and it ended up leading to going about life in a way that wasn't necessarily uh, in accordance with the law. So okay. we would do whatever we needed to do. Paint the picture, what do you mean? Yeah, I mean, what did you do? We would, we would steal, we would rob, we would, we would sell any and everything, edible and not edible. And you had, you had like your, your rat pack, your uh, We had your a rat, crew? yeah, we had a rat pack, definitely. Uh, called ourselves the shy brothers shot shy brothers shy brothers yeah okay. i don't know i don't know why we called it that yeah yeah um but we, we definitely had a crew it's kind of it's kind of interesting when you grew up in that situation 
you find a band of brothers. All of yeah. us didn't have parents that were really present. All of us, you know, were struggling in school. Um, all of us were looking for a place to feel significant and feel loved. And it was in our brotherhood that we were able to find that. The problem is, is that oftentimes, especially as you start to get older, um, you know, the, the, the things that were innocent turn into, you know, uh, much more harsh. The things that once were just light taps turn into really heavy taps. And so about 15, 16 year old, at about 15 or 16 years old, as I'm on the streets, really not doing good in school, um, my life really was on track to being a very, uh, I was on track, on, I was on a very bad path. Mm -hmm. So 15, 16 years old, my mom had a kind of a psych, 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 psychic episode, where uh, a psychological episode, she got really depressed. She ended up giving me up for, uh, she gave up her parental rights to me. Um, and I was basically homeless from 16 to 18. And at that time I had, you know, I didn't really know how to go about that other than that I needed to try to make money any way possible. So 16 years old, I dropped out of school and I pretty much ran the streets with a couple of my friends. Uh, my, my boy Lamar, uh, my good friend to this day, I actually saw him about a week ago. It's always cool to catch up with him. And my boy Dean, who no matter where he is in life, we're still close, really close friends. But for two years, I just ran the streets um, in an alcohol-induced stupor. And I was really on track to either being the cliche term, a statistic, uh, can, I, can we unpack yeah. all, because you, you said a lot, and yeah. it was a huge part of your life, yeah. right, which has um, curated you yeah. into who you are today, yeah. I feel like. Um, so, do uh, you think like that, that environment that you were in um, was definitely refining your character in terms of um, connecting with your intuition? Because yeah. being on the street or, you know, being in an environment where... Um, you're surviving for yourself, right? Man, you got to know what your surroundings are, right? Right? Yeah, you yeah. got to move quick You know, you got to be able to look around you feel people you know who's like, you know Coming right. at you with right. a, a certain type of energy or whatever right. um, So you've been kind of meddling in with those uh, yeah. Character yeah. traits for a long time, yeah. man, which Very a lot much. of other people, um, you know, you say it was kind of it was great and not colorful life but um, I think, you know, the, the, the colorful part of that is your character traits Absolutely. have been, you know, been molded from such a young age, so which right I'm sure today you, you use yes. in your interaction with people, Yes. you know, yeah. and, and surrounding yourself by, by people. So cool. So you're at 16 um, and you have a very dynamic experience with your, with your mother, yeah. right? Um, and you start creating your crew with people that you still speak with until today, yeah. um, which it seems like, you know, one of those main traits that a lot of people don't have today, which is loyalty. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. come on, man. How many people you know? I'm sure you have, you know, people in your life now. I mean, I, I know I do, and it's it's like, man, you you wish that that loyalty was a, a much bigger forefront in your life, yeah. you know. But I guess sometimes it doesn't work out for everyone that way. Yeah. But, but that's really rad. Um, so tell me more about um, from 16, 18, what, yeah. where, where did you leap from there? Well, I love that you first pointed out that, that the fact that 
um, within the struggle, there's always lessons to be learned. And absolutely, while I was in it, it didn't feel like it was a blessing. Sure. But when I look back now, it was one of the greatest training grounds I could have ever been put in. And it taught me so much and carried over to where I am today. But 16 to 18 years old really, really was a, a pivotal time for me. I went to the lowest of the low. Um, and I didn't really feel like living at that time. It was really, I was really at a point where a lot of the kids my age were going to proms, going to homecoming, getting new cars, doing the high school, you know, the senior, junior, the high school thing. And I was sitting there working random dead-end jobs, uh, very unhealthy and depressed. Mm -hmm. Didn't really have anybody to look up to. Um, so I numbed myself for a couple years. You know, I, I, I'm, I have a deep-rooted faith in something beyond me. And although I was in a space that was very foggy, sure, there was always something kind of speaking to me, very, very quietly, very faintly. And oftentimes I would drown it out with, you know, everything that I was dealing with. But it really got loud right at about 18 years old. So close to the end of those two years, it got really loud. And this, this and I speak often to this, Pablo, there was this pivotal moment at a bus stop on the uh, east side of Las Vegas. Okay. And I'm in front of Samstown Hotel, and it's a gloomy night. Once again, the neon lights of Vegas buzzing and glowing and humming above you, illuminating the possibilities of what could be, but really they're so far away. The great <coughs> illusion. Yes. And, uh, I looked over to my left and there was a guy who was about 45 years old. And for those who, for those who've never been to East Side Las Vegas, it really is not the, certain parts are, are, are really depressing. It's, it's, yeah, it's urban, it's gritty. Yeah. Um, you know, there's zombies walking around yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I wanted to drop a couple of stats here about East Las Vegas. So you can kind of have a better picture of what Brandon is about to tell us. I went to this site called Area Vibes, and they label East Las Vegas as barely livable. Their total crimes are 58% higher than Las Vegas. High school graduation rate is 34% lower than Las Vegas. Median household income is 33% lower than Las Vegas. Medium home value is 62% lower than Las Vegas. So I looked over and this guy kind of looked like me, but he, he had no light in his eyes. He was, uh, he was like alive, but not zombie alive. Died. Zombie, just straight yeah. zombie mode. And at that time, I was everything on a statistic sheet that, uh, that was considered a failure. High school dropout, no job, homeless, minority, um, you know, dealing with different issues and addictions and at that time it was like all right i either am going to make this change and really transform my life or i'm going to stay the same and it was like this huge god wink this huge aha moment i didn't know how i was going to change anything at that time i never left the east side of las vegas okay. but i knew that i had to do something differently and it all started and it came back to something my mom taught me for when i was four okay she taught me to read and the only insight I got that night that ended up being the catalyst to changing my life was to start reading more books. 
And that night I got home, I got on the bus and it was kind of metaphorical. Like I got on the bus and in my heart, I left the guy that passed at that bus stop and got on that bus and, and, and took off towards my future. And it was still pretty foggy. Like I didn't know how I was gonna get to where I wanted to get. I didn't even know where I was gonna go. Mm -hmm. But I knew that if I started reading something would change. Sure, sure. A lot of people travel through reading. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's an amazing thing. It, it opens up the world to you. We'll talk a little bit, a little bit about this in, the, in, in a few here, but I think um, that might be a really good mission for you, man. Spread reading. I agree, I you agree. Know? I, I think, um, and that's, that's why I'm for, so big on people, books. Yeah. yeah, for people who, you know, um, they can't escape, you know? They can escape in their mind. They right. can travel and journey in their head through words. You know, I think that'd be kind of interesting to kind of like get people to read. Um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that in a little bit. So, all right. So, it, it, it was it was a pitiful point for you. Um, do you mind if I ask, like, what what were you reading? The first book that I've ever that I ever read on success was yeah. called Who Moved My Cheese. Who moved my cheese? Who yeah, moved my totally. Cheese. And it just blew my mind. These two little <laughs> mice, they were going after the cheese. Yeah. Um, and the one, my, the one, the one mouse found some cheese. Yep. But the other one stayed with it, and he uh, exhibited these pivotal and beautiful emotional states like grit and perseverance yep. and determination and fortitude. And in the end. He ended up getting all the cheese. That, that was a popular business book back, yeah, back yeah. then. Yeah, so that yeah. was that was the one of the first books that uh, really inspired me. It didn't matter that there were times where I was taking cold showers in the middle of the winter. It didn't matter that I didn't have a home. It didn't matter that I, you know, didn't have enough food at times. I knew that if I were to keep my head down and keep pushing, there would eventually be a, re a reward at the end of uh, at the end of my story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Little did I know there'd be many. Yeah. Many, many, many rewards. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, so you started getting to the into the cheese, right? And and you're like, man, there's there's so much out there. Right. I have the tools inside. I didn't even know I had. That is perfect because I mean, if you're talking about surviving, right? And you're you're talking about these these personal situations that, for a lot of people, could take them into yeah. the darkness yeah. forever, yeah. and they'll never come out of yeah. it. Right, whether it's like death or there's there'll also be zombied out too. Right, you you rose from that, right? Arising from the ashes, one would say. Um, so, what did you do with that? When when you when you knew and you had that feeling of there's more out there, and I know I can do this. Or I, now I know I want something else. Right, right. But what did you do there? Well, that more that more was very small. But my mom noticed it. And I remember I had a conversation with my mom and my mom said, you're more than this. And that was big for a woman who never has never seen more than that. But she saw something in me. Hmm. She said, you're more than this. And she, earlier that week, ran across the flyer for a program called Job Corps. And Job Corps is this like vocational, school where you can go to it's a government funded school where you can go and learn a trade get back on track get your high school diploma and possibly go to college and she brought that to me and she said Brandon I really think that it would benefit you to, to check this out and she knew that if 
if I didn't want to go, it wasn't going to happen. But something, I was in the space, I was receptive for change. I'm reading these books, I'm really open to the change. Had no idea how much I did not know and I didn't realize how far I could go. But Job Corps was a beautiful next step. And so I, I, I kicked off the application process to go uh -huh. to Job Corps. Uh -huh. And six months later, I found myself enrolled at this vocational school in the middle of Stead, Nevada, um, you know, about 20 miles north of Reno. And a lot of people think Job Corps, especially on the commercials, they paint it to be this like happy little go lucky place with sure. green grass and everybody's getting along. It really is a lot of. Uh, it's an amazing system, but it's also, if you're not ready to really dive deep, not only in self-growth, but to really firmly root yourself in a why, you're not going to make it a job core because it is a crazy environment. There are fights. There are 90 to 100 kids, men, stuck in one dorm together with one advisor. A lot of the kids come from similar backgrounds that I came from, so there were, there were, there were fights, there, were, there was a lot of tension at times, so it was in that space, luckily because of how I grew up, I was able to find a center there and start to build something new. And what I found after a few weeks, because up there they run it kind of like a military camp, okay. you got to wake up a certain time, you got to make sure your bed, yeah, regimen, you got to show up to your class. If you don't show up, you lose a point. If you lose enough points, you're either going to get kicked out or you're not going to be able to leave campus for a certain amount of time. So they make you earn sure. everything that you, any type of privileges. And I figured out really early that I, that was the thing I was lacking. Two to three weeks into it, boom, up early. A month into it, I'm up early. I am the dorm I'm, 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 I'm the hall leader, I'm first to class, I'm at the gym every night, all my homework's done, and I'm asleep. And little by little, my routine got reinforced, and the next thing you know, I'm flourishing in a system. And it was, uh, it was good for me because at that time I had never flourished in anything. I really had no wins or no positive hats to hang up mm. uh, you know, to, to support my pursuit. But at that time, I started to realize, like, you know what? It's not that I'm dumb, it's not that I can't, it's not that I don't have the potential, it's that I haven't had the opportunity. Mix that with me continuously pushing towards the books and downloading new knowledge, and instantly, I mean really within like six months, my whole entire life started changing. So right now is the living testament of what this show is all about. At this moment in Brandon's life is when the power of devotion begins to run through his veins and starts changing everything externally and more importantly, internally. Wow, so that was like a, an intense, an intense moment. Every single minute, every yeah. single day, you were just on it. Yeah. On it. On it. What really got you through that? If you could sum it up in like one word. You know what was crazy is my mom at that time became homeless again. And 
when I left, it actually was a good thing for her because she wasn't going to be able to take care of me and my sister. Okay. Um, and so my mom would write me every day, like letters, literally write me letters. We didn't okay. get any phone calls and until you earned it. And sure. then once you earned it, you got like one phone call a week. But she would write me letters and uh, she would just tell me that she was proud of me and she was holding it down out there. And it was cool that I had somebody that had that much love for me and I just wanted to do right by them. Even though, you know, we had our, our things in the past and all that, that's my mom's. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it was really the only woman who, who, who thick and thin, always had my back and extended that love to me. So that really kept me strong and kept me going. And then also seeing the fact that I was able to excel at something. Mm -hmm. The very fact that I wasn't stagnant anymore, that every day I could push forward towards a little bit more. And it's there that I really got involved with the physical fitness side of things. Every, every night as I'm hitting these weights, I'm getting stronger and I'm getting more ripped and I'm feeling better about myself and my mind is getting sharper, my body's getting sharper and my soul's feeling right. It just became addicted, addic addicting. I became addicted to the process of growth, mm -hmm. the process of feeling good, the process of well-being, the process of fine-tuning my machine. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's pretty rad, man. You know, that, that whole time that you had there to really uh, find yourself, yeah. kind of, right? Yeah. I mean, kind of, uh, it, it, was, it was, a like you said, it was a launch pad to, to where you are now yeah right it was kind of like a, a milestone right for um and then uh so then how did you end up going to upenn and yeah. then going i guess you you really do love reading books um yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and i'm sure that's what took you there right. so so um besides grit tell us a story how you okay. you know got into university well to kick off you know job corps was only I was, I was there just to get my ged in high school diploma sure so i finished it in record time usually it takes 18 months to get out of there i finished it in six months so i was just diligent i got out of there they gave me a thousand bucks i came back to vegas thousand bucks but as i was a job corps i enrolled at the community college of southern nevada uh, over on Cheyenne, out in Northtown, mm -hmm. and I, uh, I got there, I'm in college, huge thing, took the cat bus, the public transit bus, every morning up there, and it was there I met my first mentor, his name was Mr. Mulholland, and Mr. Mulholland um, had a very unorthodox style of teaching, Okay. he'd walk in, when we first walked into his room, he was sitting on the ground, legs crossed, shorts on, with a blazer jacket on, and he just sat there, and as we all you know, we came in and we were like, who is this guy? Yeah. He said, I want you guys to, uh, I want you guys to know that you all matter significantly. And he was a brother like me. So I've never seen a guy like this. this right. He's like literally my Morpheus. Sure. And it was in his English class that he really started to instill in me the belief that anything is possible if I continue to cultivate my mind. And after class one day, I asked him if he'd mentor me. And he looked at me with this little kind of strange, uh, curious look. And he mm -hmm. said, are you really ready to live the life of the mind? And like, in, that, in those words, exactly. <laughs> right. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, all right, yes, I yeah. am. And he just started feeding me books. Um, it took me four years to get out of a two-year program at community college because I was so behind with my academic side of things. Sure. It took me a while to get into my groove. At that time, I, I worked numerous jobs, everything from a home theater salesman at Best Buy to a hot dog flipper at Wiener Stencil to a valet park, uh, valet driver at Golden Nugget. Whatever I had to do to keep 
my growth going, I did. And so it was, uh, uh, it was about four years of grinding school and work and really making up for a lot of, a lot of lost time. Finally got into UNLV, graduated CSN, got into UNLV. And at that time, I, I decided that I wanted to dive full force into school. So I took out some okay. loans okay. and uh, I went for it. And yeah. I, now I'm a little more refined. And not only have I made it refined, what do you, what do you mean refined? A little more refined academically. What do you mean refined? <laughs> a little more refined academically, yeah. A little more refined. Oh, uh, shit. You know, hold on before we yeah. move forward. Big shout out to the English teachers out there, man. I've always had really good, yeah. inspiring English teachers, too. Yeah. Super creative people, passionate people. Yes. And like out of all the other teachers that I've had, besides a physics teacher, I remember in um, high school, they were just super passionate and motivated. Yes. Why? I don't know why that is, but like there was something about all my English teachers were very like personable yeah. and just um, had a lot of empathy yeah. and, and always wanted others to succeed. I don't know, it was something about an Masters of words. Man. And if words lead to abstract thinking, they probably are the pinnacle of that. Yeah, some word warriors. Wordsmiths. Yeah, word warriors. Man. All right, so yes. um, you're, you're at UNLV. What did you major at UNLV? What did you do Communications. Okay. Were you, were you doing the frat parties and, and getting no, all, I didn't all have time crushed? For that. Or? I didn't have time for okay, that. Okay, okay. I didn't have time to slip. Yeah. Once I got on the game, I already, I already was too close to falling off. Yeah, so like, what would you say to a lot of people too? Because, you know, this is a, a common story, yeah. right? It, yeah. it's, a, it's a very common story. Right. So, um, and, and when you're in university, especially in Oregon College in the U.S., it's yeah. all about the parties, yeah. the girls or the guys. Right. Um, the drugs, right. you know, not actually doing work <laughs> right. Right. for a lot of people. Right. Um, so what, what helped you kind of like stay center? I mean, right. it was your, your, I guess your eyes were just on the prize and you just right. wanted to take a target that and that was, I didn't that was have it. The, I didn't have the opportunity, you know, I was working so much and I Well, knew. you probably already got it out of your system too when you were younger, right? You're yeah, not... <laughs> but, but a different type, of, you know, college yeah. is obviously a different type of party. You got the, sure, sure. the girls get hotter, the parties get bigger. Yeah, yeah. Um, when I got to UNLV, my mom actually had a stroke, okay. a bad stroke, and uh, very bad. She was supposed to pass away, and she was like debilitated wow. for a couple of years, and I had to end up taking care of my mom and my little sister at that time. So for okay. me, it was really work mm -hmm. and school and focus. This is a movie, man. Yeah. So you, <laughs> Someone needs to make a movie out of this, yeah. bro. Respect. Sure. I, uh, and so all I knew was like I had to continue to read. I had to continue to push myself forward and I had to continue to be the best I could be. There was no time for partying, there was no time for being caught up in the scene. It was only about being the best I could be. And initially I was going to go to law school, um, but during the time I was in the undergrad at UNLV, so I'm about six years into school now, I'm behind okay. the buck because sure. you know I, I started out behind the buck, I, uh, I fell in love with training. And physical training. Physical. I mean, really fell in love with it. I fell in love with it in job court. Okay. And it sustained me. It became like a part of my lifestyle all the way through that. But I really started to understand how impactful it was to me, how the burn of working out was a metaphor for life. And if you could push through the burn, you could push through anything in mm -hmm. life. It's and that's what cycling thing. did to me. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. And so I became a trainer while I was at UNLV. And once again, just, I wanted to not only 
I, I didn't want to just scratch the surface. I wanted to dive full force and become the best I could be. Okay. The universe opened up those doors. I guess I opened up those doors because I was proactive, but I met another guy named Dr. Michael Norwood. He was a prominent sports psychologist, and he had a gym once upon a time in Summerlin, uh, uh, you know, this Boca Park called Corfit. Okay. And so I got hired by him, and similar to Mr. Maholland, he said, forget everything you know. He said, when we train, we don't train to create a burn. We don't train to lose weight. We don't train to burn calories. Our goal as trainers is to help people achieve flow. And that's what the, year was this? This was 2008. Oh, okay. 2008. Head of the curve with the yeah. whole flow. Yeah, it was. And I was like, what do you mean flow? Moments in our lives are not the passive receptive, relaxing times. The best moments usually occur if a person's body or mind is stretched to its limits in a voluntary effort to accomplish something difficult and worthwhile. Mahali, Chiksen, Mahali. And this guy, his background, sports psychology, University of Kansas, his research stemmed around hope and flow states. And he handed me the book, Flow, Mill High Checks and Mill High. And he said, when we train these clients, it's not about, you know, just beating them up. It's really about finding that space where they truly are in the zone. And in that space, writing that line, and that's where you're going to really make the most impact. That's where you're going to really create a, a platform of change, not just physically, but mentally and spiritually. Mm -hmm. And so for three years, this guy paid me literally nothing. Sorry about that, Dr. Norway, but he paid me like pennies. Yeah. But I he would paid do, you with flow. He paid me, paid me with flow. It's <laughs> six, some flow <laughs> currency, man. <laughs> yeah. 16, 17, 18 sessions a day for three years under yeah. this guy as I'm going through UNLV. Changed my whole entire uh, path at UNLV. I, 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 where I was going from law school, I decided to really dive more into the training game. Ended up graduating UNLV, diving full force into the training game. And I started making a name for myself as uh, a, you know, one of the, the top trainers in Vegas. Um, Why was that? Like, what, what, what was your big differentiator? Seeing people. I was able to truly see people and empathize. Because there's so many trainers yeah, out there, right? Yeah, yeah, you can't empathize with people if you've never been through the struggle. You can't see people if you've never had to endure some hardship yourself. And so every person that I tapped into, it's like I felt them. Mm -hmm. It was more than just let me help you get in shape. It was like, mm -hmm. let me help you. Because even at that time, and I, I, you know, if, if that's as far as I went, I'd have been grateful. But at that time, I was like, I, I came from the streets and I'm over here training people and teaching people how to be better. Mm -hmm. I've made it. Like, this is incredible. Sure. So let me help you. Let me teach you how to also tap into your power. And after three years of being with him, I became absolutely fascinated with flow. I was at a place where I was starting to make, you know, more money. The struggles of the past were not the same. Um, I graduated. I was the first person in my family ever to graduate college. And... It really just catalyzed this, this, this new path for me where I, I knew that I had the power to truly make impact in this, uh, impact in this world, sure. but also that I had the power to bring anything I wanted to life. And so at that time, I decided to switch up paths and I started researching 
um, sports psychology and performance psychology. And I stumbled upon this link and it said positive psychology. I was like, what, what is this? Clicked on this positive psychology link. Positive Psychology Center, University of Pennsylvania, studies the, uh, uh, the study of human flourishing. And I was like, whoa, I was like, this is insane. Right. At that time, I had no idea that University of Pennsylvania was a good school. I thought it was equivalent to like University of Phoenix. I don't know okay. about the East okay. Coast. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I decided to apply. Uh-huh. One of my buddies, my dear friend Frank Todry, said about a week into the application process, um, do you know, Brandon, that University of Pennsylvania is probably... Uh, it's, that, a really, it's a really good school and it's, lead, buddy. and it's really hard to get into and you might want to spend a little bit more time on your application. I knew at that time that uh, it was out of my league. I didn't have some stellar academic background even though I tried my hardest. I floated with like a 3.1. I didn't have time to be involved with extra, extracurriculars. I wasn't involved with fraternities. I was just working and really trying my best. Mm-hmm. But I knew that there was also no other program in the world that I wanted to get into and so I opted out of applying right there mm-hmm. and I spent the next 18 months working on my application for the next round I sat there at a Starbucks just like I had all through college I st- killed, you killed it with essay I bet I killed it with essay yeah I spent two years on essay essay who, a, essay, essay gets yeah. you man who spends two years on an essay though bro you do yeah I do yeah you that's, do man that's, that's, people that's, who need it need it yeah people who want it yeah oh, that's who it was everything it was yeah. everything to me at that time I also um, started uh, a nonprofit called the jump for joy foundation with my uh, ex-business partner Anthony Allegretti mm-hmm. and we started it at the UNLV gym. Uh, I was just training some people after I graduated. I met him, and we wanted to create a way to teach kids about health, wellness, and loving themselves. Okay. It started with three kids. It blew up to 500 kids in a year. Wow. And we started having relationships, NBA, NFL. So all this is happening all at once as I'm applying sure. to the University of Pennsylvania. A year and a half later, I get the letter. I made it into UPenn. And... Uh, as I'm getting into UPenn. Well, I get the letter. You're in UPenn. A month later, I get fired from corporate. I lose my girlfriend at that time. And uh, I find myself in jail because I forgot to pay some parking, some, some outstanding uh, traffic tickets. Okay. Now, the cool thing about this University of Pennsylvania program was that it was an executive program. Okay. You would fly to Penn for a week, mm-hmm. classes for 12 hours plus a day, then you'd go back and you'd do research in the field. So it was this crazy dichotomy, this crazy dualism of being in Vegas and dealing with the hustle and grind of Vegas and then once a month flying to Penn and being in an Ivy League, immersed in the Ivy League yeah. experience. Now I thought I was smart. I did all right at UNLV. Ivy League is a different ball game. These students are groomed from the time they're kids to write an APA style and you know critically think and I'm going through Penn I'm dealing with my stuff in Vegas I'm going through a breakup once again the hardships hit me and it seems like in my life every time that I'm hit with hardships it means that the next level is about to crack and so Penn was Penn was challenging I'm in a positive psychology program we're studying the essence of human performance and human flourishing and uh 
I was going through some of the most tumultuous times of my life. The uh, Now, to Penn's credit, it is on a, another level, the highest caliber. When you're sitting in the room with Martin Seligman, the, the author of Authentic Happiness and Flourish, one of the most prominent psychologists, and you're drinking wine with Martin Seligman in his backyard talking about the state of happiness. Mm -hmm. Angela Duckworth, who has the book, best-selling book out right now, Grit, who popularized the term grit. Grit literally being a, uh, an embodiment of my life. And Roy Baumeister on willpower and Barbara Fredrickson and Carol Dwight. I mean, all these minds are a part of this master's in positive psychology. Mm -hmm. So I'm in this world and I'm also in a different world or I'm more than less leaving behind an old world. But Penn was a challenge. Uh, the, the, it was a very pivotal moment there. I was kind of struggling with my schoolwork and uh, the director, James Powelski, he brought me aside and he said, you know what? You got a lot of way power. You got a lot of willpower, Brandon, but I don't know if you have the way power. And I've heard that my whole life. It was basically saying like, you, you, you work hard, but I don't know if you got it all to, to, to really cut it at this high of a level. Sure. And it really just reinforced my notion to go hard. I, uh, I ended up sending them all the email um, of a quote that some people attribute to Einstein, other people don't know where it comes from, but it says, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it's gonna spend its whole life thinking it's stupid. And I said, I don't climb trees, but I'm really good at water. Oh my God. And when I sent that to him, the, the tone changed, and yeah. a year later I ended up graduating with my master's degree from the University of Pennsylvania, uh, the Ivy League, which was a huge milestone in my life. And as far as um, giving me a uh, giving me a tool, a specialized tool that very few people have, especially in the training game, mm -hmm. it did that for me. I have to know. Time. I have to know your rebuttal was very clever, you know, because um, a, a lot of other people would just like fill up, you know, a paragraph or two of why excuses, you know, this and that, <laughs> just summing it all up with a quote. That's it. <laughs> That's it. It was great. Very witty. That's good. I like that. Yeah, I like that. All right, dude. So you're you're crushing in the Ivy Leagues, man. You know you're surrounding yourself with um, you know top of the game philosophers in your space, um, learning about flow, studying flow, researching flow, executing it in yeah. real life, in real time, um, learning from it, right? Creating right. benchmarks for yourself. Right. Um, you know, creating frameworks, your yeah. own frameworks, yeah. as I'm sure is what, you know, uh, is, is what you use now with a lot of people that you interact with Absolutely. in the training and, yeah. you know, with Nike and, and all of that yeah. stuff that you're doing as well. Um, talk to us about that. Um, what, what is, who is Brandon now in terms of like, you know, what do you, what are you into? What do you like doing? Um, and, and yeah, tell us about, uh, you know, now, I guess. Yeah, I mean, now, now really, it was interesting. So I became fascinated with the physical. And then I had the beautiful blessing of learning about the mental from some of the brightest minds in the world. Uh -huh. um, at that time, I opened Real Results Up in Vegas. Yeah. Became kind of my guinea pig on how to create flow states on, in a business sense. You know, six years later, Real Results is cracking 30 plus trainers, award-winning gym. Um, but after that, I was still kind of lost. I still was kind of... Uh, I felt like I was still missing something. Once upon a time when I sat on the streets, I thought if I had money and I had 
the lifestyle and I had every one of my bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs met, I would be happy and I still mm -hmm. wasn't. So after I graduated, I became really fascinated with travel and I got a backpack and over the course of three years with the, with the intention to really figure out what it means to live, what it means to, to, to be happy, what does it mean to feel alive. It took me to 50 plus countries and it really uh, solidified the triangle, the mind-body-spirit triangle. And that right there, when I, when I work with a client, when I work with anybody, that's what I try to tap into is, is the, 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 the trinity, the trifecta. That approach right there gave me a very, a very specialized uh, skill set and it opened up a lot of doors for me as far as who I worked with um, and I started training with a lot of professional athletes I started working with a lot of who's who's in business and music started traveling the world as a, a traveling trainer and, mm -hmm. and helping people really dive into more than you know more than the physical really tap into their power it was in Bali that I really stepped into a new paradigm and was in what Ubud. was it about Bali that I was in Ubud um, and I walked into the yoga barn in Ubud and initially I went to the, the studio because I heard that there was 50 women plus sure. there, and I'm a single guy and I'm traveling sure, yeah. but I got in the yoga studio and Denise Payne an amazing yoga instructor she said You've really learned to master the external, but you have no idea about what's going on inside you. And that's what yoga is about. And it was like, oh my God, like, I get it. I don't know what it was, if it was the lands of Bali or what exactly it was, but at that moment, I understood yoga and I decided to really start pursuing that. So the last three years, I've really dove deep into yoga. I've started to fuse all my philosophies, um, spiritually, mentally, physically, and it's all really led to Peru and to me going to Peru, going down there and taking everything that has come before and creating a movement in Peru that is truly the uh, embodiment of everything that I've, I've gained over the last 33 years of my life. All right, guys, we're about to get deep into Peru, Pachamama, social currency. So I wanted to share with you guys the Warrior Retreats ethos presented by Brandon and his crew. And it goes something like this. Compassion, leading with heart, giving selflessly, and learning self-love. Courage, a warrior in its purest form is a person that is willing to lay it all down for an ideal. Commitment, perseverance, determination, grit, and hard work. Confidence, self-belief, self-esteem, self-efficacy. Community, contributing and being part of something that is bigger than oneself. Creativity, once genius and unique expression. Celebration, celebrating the journey of life, giving thanks, expressing gratitude. Character. A warrior in the purest sense is someone that is willing to lay it all down for an ideal. Calling. One's purpose, life's mission, individual's awareness of unique gifts. Connection. To oneself and the world around them. 
part adventure, part health and wellness, part workshop, and part humanitarian exchange. Every day in a supportive environment, the warriors are stretched, tested, and pushed to their limits. If you have a chance, check it out for yourself. Warrior retreats. I'm so glad we, we stepped into uh, the, the Peru <laughs> Peru liquid here, man. You know, I think that's uh, that's been a huge part of how we've, um, you know, uh, engaged and, 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 and grown into a, a friendship and, and known each other. You know, I'm, I'm from Peru and that, that place, uh, well, you know, un, unwantingly, you know, my parents moved to Florida when I was three years old, right? So I had no choice but to leave Peru. But as soon as I could... Um, know um, of Peru, right, like consciously, I guess, um, you know, I was I was a kid, you know, like at five years old, with a little tape player, I would put on folklore Peruvian music, this is my parents told me, right, you put on folklore Peruvian music, and sit by the window, look outside the window, and start crying while listening to this music, <laughs> that it, it was hitting me so bad, and it's like, you know, how could a human who, you know, I don't know, wasn't aware of where they were when they were, you know, a total baby, have that connection with a, a land, right, right, or an environment? Right. But um, soon after then, after six, I was, you know, going to Peru every single month, and and and, and there's something about that nation, uh, and that those different uh, topographies that it has, climates, um, and the history of it that makes it extremely special. And I think, you know, I've never heard anyone say they had a bad time in Peru. Um, in fact, most people, they come back uh, from Peru with uh, knowing something extra that they didn't know, you know, from before. Um, so what what kind of drew you to Peru? What what landed you in Peru? What what took you there, man? Talk to me about that. So a little backtrack side story. I grew up without my father. Never met him. Had no idea who he was. Right. I uh, other than the fact that I knew my mom and him met at Valley High School in Vegas once upon a time, had a fling, and then they just went off. And my mom really never talked about him. Okay. And I never really asked. I and wondered. You never sometimes. saw pictures or anything. Like we had a couple pictures, but other than that, it, that was it. it. Yeah, that okay. was it. I'm in uh, my senior year of UNLV. And I'm in a African American film class okay. with a professor Stan Armstrong, and he's talking about doing a documentary on some of the Black Confederate soldiers, and he was doing some filming at Valley High School. And when he said Valley High School, it triggered something in me, and I said, randomly, you know, I think my mom met my dad at Valley High School. And he paused, and he looks at me with this really crazy stare, and like explores each aspect of my face oh your eyebrows everything. everything and he says is your dad's name Lane Rowling and I always knew my dad is Cedric well I said no my dad's name I think is Cedric and he shakes his head and he said yeah Lane Cedric Rowling long story short my father was his brother's best friend wow and that night I talked to my father for the first time wow <laughs> Yeah, that is wild. Long man. story short, my father is a prominent trauma surgeon and infectious disease doctor that fell in love with Peru 14 years prior to that, met a Peruvian woman, ended up leaving the U.S. and found herself in Peru. 
So I started to develop this relationship with my father uh, at about 26, 25 years old. And because of all the work I had done on myself, because of where I was at, because of the obstacles I overcame, because I really liked myself, forgiveness was easy and it opened up a beautiful relationship and also opened up the country of Peru to me. Sure. And that's sure. what brought me to Peru. And I started going to Peru to visit him. And it was from visiting him that I started understanding Peru. He married a Peruvian woman, so I had a Peruvian family. It started pulling me deeper. Every time I'd go down there, I'd venture out a little farther into Peru. And okay. I'd be like, oh. And then three years ago, uh -huh. Peru just took me. Uh -huh. I kept going, I kept going, I kept pushing the button, and then finally, said, son, Peru said, you're one of here. us, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> and it took me away, bro. And uh, it really just opened, it, it really brought together everything that I had been through into this beautiful closure of a rite of passage, as I spoke about earlier, uh -huh. that was truly, and, and, I, and, and, and it was in Peru that I realized that everything that had transpired before was preparing me for exactly what I was supposed to do, that I was on path the whole entire time. Even through the darkness, even through the pain, even through the poverty, it was all on path, it was all on track, it was all to teach me a beautiful lesson. And these are the downloads that started coming to me while I'm sitting in Peru, in front of these beautiful apus, tapping into the Pachimama, tapping into the people. And, and that's where I am today. Peru is near and dear to my heart. You know, I leave in two days to Peru. I'm a year and a half ago, I started bringing people to Peru uh -huh. to tap into it because of the catalytic beauty that I received from it. I sat there so blown away by the lands, the people, the culture, the cuisine, the fact that somehow through forgiveness, I ended up gaining a Peruvian family that I believe that Peru, Mother Peru, saw my honor for Peru and it, it just opened its arms to me as esoteric as that sounds to some people. Yeah. And I wanted to share that with people. And once again, the beauty of growing up on the streets, growing up with nothing, if I got from the streets to the Ivy Leagues, well, I probably could bring some people down to Peru. So it wasn't an option. And that's the beautiful thing is when we go after things, when we push our limits, our ability to bring things to life changes, it, it expands. And so I didn't know how I was gonna do it, but three months after I decided to bring people to Peru, I had 18 people. Six months later, I had 15 people. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going back again and I have 20 people coming back to the motherland to uh -huh. tap in uh -huh. to their power and to their, their truth. So when you take them there, what is the experience that, uh, you know, I'm sure, you know, may, might not be planned, I don't know, but like, what is it that, um, walk us through the yeah. whole journey for someone, you know? Well, I believe that it's hard for people to transform and really tap into their truth and their greatness when they're stuck in their same environment. You know, you really gotta be diligent um, to, to change the environment. Epigenetics talks about how environment affects our genetic expression, our behaviors, and I believe that to be true. I feel like when you remove people from their environment and you put them in a container that is about really 
transforming, really stepping into their power where space is being held for them to really be vulnerable and ask those big questions of like, why am I here? What do I want to do? What makes my heart sing? I feel like the transformative effects of that is magical. And so Warrior Retreats is accumulation of everything I know. It's about tapping into the topography of the lands, um, going to these sacred sites that have been energized by so much beautiful energy. But most importantly, and, and I say this all the time, most importantly, it's about tapping into service, about stepping out of stepping out of the idea that what can I get and reframe that and asking the question of what can I give because as soon as somebody starts asking what can I give it opens up a whole new frequency and I always say love is like invisible currency it's a boomerang the harder you throw that boomerang the farther it's going to go the more people it's going to touch and it's inevitably going to curl back around and come back right back and I feel like love has that same boomerang effect and so bringing people down there especially us entitled Americans bringing people down there and taking them into the hospitals and teaching them that what service is really giving back to the Peruvian people really holding space for those people really coming from a place of service I feel like is uh, is something that opens up their hearts and leaves a lasting impression forever and I feel like once a person goes down and serves in Peru once again I feel like Peru opens up its doors to those people mm -hmm. it's like paying homage it's like a sacrificial offering mm -hmm. it's an offering to the lands sure to receive yeah yeah. Well, you yeah. have to give first absolutely absolutely and the local people there you know they walk around with um, coca leaves you know they're, they're sacred uh, leaves yes. and their plant um, and potatoes and, and anytime they're going to do anything with land they literally you know sit there they'll put a pile of coca leaves and potatoes and pray and give it to Pachamama you know Mother Earth um, every time every time you know without, yeah but, but Peru's great you know Peru I mean Lima's like you know Lima's like any any other crazy you know uh, capital city in, in South America I mean the food and and you know for foodies Lima is like top of the game you know it's a really really cool city to be in but then it, um, you know once you start getting into deep Peru um, then then you start you know interacting with a lot more of um, the traditional side of Peru and the ancient side of Peru and you know you start hearing these voices too man there's a lot I mean the spirits in Peru too are, are a powerful thing for all you know you people who um, who, are, who are I guess open open to that or, or whatever you know it exists man and the, the science is out there um, deep yeah I can't say anything else but like <laughs> It's there. Yeah. It's there. It's in. It's in the. They're. They're in the stones. I mean, um, those stones that the Incas used and the Quechua people used are literally made by like crystal. You know, white crystal, man. There's white crystal in these stones in the building. You know, and those crystals are known to carry a lot of energy. Uh, they hold it. They give it back, and it's a really good, you know, cycle. So there's there's without a doubt that if um, your your soul is open mm -hmm. to to receiving and exchanging with everything around you, um, that without a doubt it's going to transform you in some way. You know. Um, 
there's there's uh, you know there's things um, that happen in life for a lot of people that I feel at some point they 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 might realize that everything around them is alive. Everything, everything, everything has something going on, right? You might not see it, you might not feel it, but it has it. You you were at Red Rock today, right? Yes. Um, I ride through Red Rock a lot, and a lot of people um, think you know nothing of rocks, but rocks to me are one of the most stellar things ever. Yeah. Um, I think that's why Cusco is such a huge, or like the Andes area. To me, dude, it hits my heart thump. Yeah. Like I don't know what else. And I'm a big ocean person too. I love being near the the water. Um, you know the hidden messages in water. I don't know if you have yeah, seen yeah, that. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, that's rad. Um, so I love water, but there's something about the mountains that 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 gets me to uh, in a in a very very unique place in in my soul. Apples. Uh, yes, and and you know the fact that you are um, just showing people and giving them the opportunity to explore in those environments not only those environments right because come on you don't you don't have to go to peru to explore within yeah right you can do it in your closet in the bathroom yeah if you really really wanted to yeah of course putting yourself in a different environment triggers all these other stuff and becomes easier right just like all these other psychedelic drugs it just it, it makes it easier for you to get into it's like a uh, a, a door opener, yeah. right? But if you meditate, you can get into those areas as well. Absolutely. Uh, Meditation. You, you've been you've been meditating a lot lately, yeah. right? Yeah. So, uh, do you meditate with your people out there in Peru? I, I have not, because I haven't felt proficient in, le- in in the traditional sense of sitting down okay. and meditating. Because I've, I'm a student. I've been a student. Um, this time around we will be having meditation components because I feel more versed in my meditation abilities but I also have some people on the trip that are very proficient in leading group meditations but for me Peru is a walking meditation it's being in the moment what does it mean to be proficient in, in meditation I feel like uh, it takes a certain level of it, it takes a certain level of character and disposition to be able to sit with oneself and drop into a space of the now. Mm-hmm. And I can only speak for myself, but for years I've known about meditation and I have not really understood meditation until okay. like the last six months. Okay. It started making sense. Ten minutes stopped feeling like, why do I have to sit here for ten minutes annoyed? And it started feeling like medicine. And I'm like, okay, I'm understanding it. I, I believe with meditation, just like anything, there's no level skips. You can't just skip. And that's why people actually, I believe, turn to psychedelics and these mind-altering techniques so fast because it takes a little bit Easier. of discipline yeah. to sit there. You just there. swallow something and then yeah, Exactly. Instead you're in of the sitting game. there and sitting upright. Yeah, yeah, you're right in the game. Yeah. But... For me, to be able to get to those states, it's taken a while, but now I'm starting to really drop into it after right. a lot of practice, a lot of diligent practice. That's right. Yeah. So then you, you have to, um, so then what, what type of breathing uh, practices are you doing, right? Because that's meditation. You know, it started with yoga when I went, you know, after I left Bali, I went ahead and I went to New York to study under Sri Dharma 
Mitra. I was introduced to him by another guy who's been on your show, uh, Dre Gardner. Yeah. And it was there that every morning he made us wake up and do an hour and a half of pranayama, which almost killed me the first three days. Uh huh. But I started to understand it and. What I've learned, because after that I went to India, I backpacked through India with the same question, you know, how do I dive deeper into self? How do I really tap into my power? How do I help others tap into their power? Uh, this guy Babu in New Delhi said to me, it's, so, it's like, it's, it's so interesting. He said to me, he said... Same thing your English teacher told you? Oh, no, not, not along those lines, but he said to me, he said, you know what? He's like, all these Americans are coming here and they think that they know what meditation is. Meditation is could be anything. He's like, stop trying to put it in a box. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa. And Bruce Lee always says, have no form. Uh -huh. Bruce Lee began his study of martial arts in Hong Kong in the 1960s, studying the Wing Chun school of Kung Fu, which emphasized rapid, accurately placed blows and a method of practice called sticking hands, involving a stationary wooden post. As he encountered opponents from other schools, however, he began to question the rigid adherence to form that he and other martial arts students had been taught. And while the forms had a value in learning the spiritual and physical disciplines Kung Fu required, the forms also became barriers to true mastery. Bruce Lee began experimenting with his fighting style by incorporating elements in different schools. In doing so, he scandalized the traditionalists who accused him of having no form, that is, of failing to follow the discipline of any accepted form. In describing his style, Bruce Lee made a clear distinction between having no form and having no form. To have no form was to transcend form from a position of mastery that enabled one to see when the rules could be, in fact, needed to be broken. No form was highly disciplined in its execution. In essence, to have no form was to have access to all forms, to understand all forms at their most essential level, and to see and be able to act on the connections among other forms. On the other hand, having no form implied an undisciplined approach and inability to master any form. Lee discovered that he could not teach no form directly to novices in the martial arts. A student first had to master the form of karate, taekwondo, or other form of schooling. Only from a position of mastery could the student begin to experiment with abandoning the form. And gradually, his efforts to teach no form resulted in the new Bruce Lee school of Kung Fu. And you guys know how the story goes. Paradoxically, the search for no form had become another form. And so... At that time, I started saying, you know what, maybe meditation is something that I'm not, it's not a practice that I have to go get, it's a practice that I have to develop and I have to figure out what my style is. And so I started taking some of the things that I know put me in the zone, music, you know what I mean, binaural beats, 
some breath techniques, a little bit of pranayama, um, really good headphones. And that's been how I've started. That, that's how I've started to drop into my meditation practice deeper right and deeper and deeper. And right it's on. my own. Yeah. It's not a style. Sure. It's a fusion. I heard something um, or, uh, during a century ride that I did, 100 miles in San Diego, in Palm Springs, earlier this year. Um, I don't know why on this ride, I thought of a friend. I remember this friend told me we were sitting outside our library, you know, um, finishing. Um, I remember it was like some Excel spreadsheets for a marketing class and it was like a one-nighter and um, he was smoking a cigarette he's like what are you doing I was like hey what's going on he's like oh, I'm just meditating I was like you're smoking a cigarette he's like I'm meditating man he's like he's puffing right <laughs> cigarettes are bad for you we all know that um, you know but during this ride I remember that and all of a sudden I started cramping in my leg I was like mile 80 I was like, I'm just going to, you know, talk to this cramp, right? I start talking to the cramp. I'm like, cramp, I know you're there. How are you? I hate you. I don't like you. But I have to love you because you're, you're in me and you're affecting me right now. Right? So, okay, I feel you. I feel you. All of a sudden, flow, don't really know where I am. I look back, there's 30 people behind me. I've been pulling people for like 10 miles, bro. Right? I look down, I'm like <coughs> 21 miles an hour. Right? Wow. Just energy. Hitting it. Hitting it, right? And the whole time, really what, I was, what was happening was just, there's meditation, man. Yeah. There's meditation, right? So I guess that, that was like my, my question. Like, okay, well, what does it mean to be proficient in meditation? You know, because a lot of people... Um, you know, there's a lot of classes and a lot of like certifications that people get and stuff, but I don't know, like, you know, it could be anything. I think, uh, I think a lot of it starts with, with the breath, you know, a lot of it starts with the breath. The breath is everything. Yeah. The breath is everything. Pranayama. Yeah, man. So that's sick. So you're, you're going to be in Peru. Um, you're going to be with the crew, right? How many, is everyone new? Everyone that's going out there? Except one of my facilitators. Okay. We got a super crew coming down. Right on. You know, some of the most profound minds in the game. Um, and what's crazy, when I had my epiphany to bring down people to Peru, it was these people that I envisioned bringing down. Okay. It wasn't the people that came to the first one. It wasn't people right. that came to the second one. It was this group of people that, from the third one yep. that I had the vision of bringing them down. Nice. When I had the epiphany to bring it, I was yeah. like, these are the guys I got to bring. Yeah. And so it's just evolved into something beautiful that yeah. uh, I couldn't have yeah. imagined. This time, actually, we're going a little deeper. You know, we always talk about reverence for Pachimama, what we give to Pachimama. Um, last time I was in Peru, well, I was actually... <laughs> When I was in um, <clears throat> India, I kept having dreams about the jungle okay. of Peru. Okay. It was like, I wake up and I'm like, I'm in India, but I'm smelling jungles and I'm smelling okay. the, the, the Amazon. So this last time I went to Peru, I decided to go to the Amazon and I got on a plane, went to Iquitos with no plan, nobody there that I ex would show me the way, but 
this beautiful, profound feeling of trust. I'm gonna trust Pachimama. I'm gonna trust Peru to give me what it got. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. literally, I got in. I got out of the plane. I got in a tuk tuk took me to the center city of Quito's. I got out of the car, and there's a guy standing next to the wall, looking right at me. And he just, and I felt familiar. And I don't recommend this to everybody. Like this could be a bad thing. Yeah, bro, this but, is a bad story, man. <laughs> but he said, "Listen," he said. He's like, I have something I want to share with you. Um, I think you would appreciate it. And if you give me the time to share, I give me five minutes of your time. And if you don't like it, all good. And I felt, I felt, you know, a lot of people, what's crazy, Pablo, is a lot of people, when you talk about Peru, they're like, well, it's so dangerous. I honestly feel safer in Peru than most places in, like, when I'm in LA or in yeah. Vegas. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, I... He showed me this beautiful lodge that was deep, about seven hours up the Amazon, called Chulo Chaki Lodge. He told me the story, he told me the history of it, told me what it was about. He was an ex-lieutenant uh, in the Amazon Navy, mm -hmm. and he was very proud of this place. Did you ask him why me? No, I just, I, I, I knew it was No, no, why. but like now, like later, do you, have you guys ever talked about it? We or? have not, no, you just, no. You just, but we're, I'm, I'm going back to see him. Okay. And so I will ask him that Okay. next next week when I'm there. Okay. Or two weeks from now when I'm there. But I felt such good vibrations from him. Sure. Next thing you know, I'm seven hours up the Amazon River. I come to Chulu Chaki Lodge. I meet my guide, his name's Wolf. They call him the water wolf, has a huge scar across his face from a caiman, fighting with a caiman, speaks four languages, climatologist, botanist, never left the jungles, and he, as a teacher, my age, every morning, 4 a.m., awake, reading an old digital dictionary, trying to learn English, how he could be a better guide, literally changed my life, changed my world, changed my perspective on everything. That's wild, man. And the jungles opened up to me. So all these layers of Peru opened up to me. The jungles opened up to me. And now, finally, I'm also taking seven people into the jungles as well. Right on. Yeah. Right on. People don't even know what's going to happen to them, man. I'm in the jungle a couple. The first time I went in there was, uh, I was young to go see my uh, grandfather. Went through Iquitos. And then through Iquitos, we actually went to Brazil and to Colombia through the Amazons. Wow. Um, wild experience, wild experience. There was, there was this doctor in front of um, our boat, and he like literally like opened up the raining waters like a curtain. <laughs> you know, like that young age, starting to see those things, and I was like, wow, this is this is another another planet, you yeah. know, another thing happening here. But um, okay, man. So so you're you're in Peru, right? And you're molding. Um, it's almost like you're you're you have a platform, you know. You have a platform that you've developed yeah. with your own experiences and everything, and all your journeys that you've had into throughout your life. Yeah. Almost like the Amazon. Yeah. Right. The, the Amazon has all these branches. Right. You've branched off into all these other paths. I Iquitos is that center place where it connects to the rest of the Amazon. Yeah. It's a really really hot spot. So, what is your Iquitos? Do you know? Do you know yet? Do you not know yet? Are you still forming it? Do you see it? My Kitos is is uh, less external nowadays and more internal. I'm finding my root right where I am. It took me. It took me, or it required. I had to travel the world. I had to go to 50 plus countries. 
I had to see success in all its different formats. I had to dive into some of the deepest remote parts of wisdom and sacred knowledge and yoga and training and trials and tribulations in the streets and the skies to come full circle. And like young Santiago and the alchemist, where he realizes that the treasure, the center is within. And that's where I've landed at the moment. I'm really enjoying this notion that everything that I've always looked for, I've always had. But I wouldn't have been appreciated it if it was given to me then. Now I understand it and I honor it. And that center, what that center is, is a beautiful ability to see others, to empathize on a very deep level, to hold space for others, to truly step into their power, to step into their light, and inevitably find their center as well. So I have this notebook where I write a lot of stuff, um, thoughts, ideas, just randomness. Um, and there's one, I don't have the notebook here. Um, I outlined human, he's like standing, right? In the middle I wrote, I wrote um, Guru Lab, and there's like this, like a, a yellow circle, and it's kind of like spreading out, kind of like a ray of lights, right? So it's almost like you have found, or sorry, you're turning the lights on in your Guru Lab, mm. right? And, and you're flipping those switches on for other people. Yeah. And they're like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. Right? So you're turning on those lights. Um, what kind of feedback are you getting from people when you're turning those lights on for them? Um, what, yeah, like, what are people saying to you, man? Like, what is their reaction to them? Like, on a real, like, one-to-one -one level, like, have, you know, I'm sure people communicate this to you, right? Like, besides just the thank you, Brandon. Yeah, right. you know? What kind of feedback? You know, you when uh, somebody really genuinely sees you, really looks you in the eyes and say, I see you, I see your power, I see what you are, I see the potential in you, it changes a person's physiology, it changes a person's behaviors. There's this experiment that uh, KRS-One was talking about where he said that if a woman walked in the room and everybody started treating her like a queen, she would immediately start to act different. She would hold herself like a queen. She would hold herself with more pride and more power and step into her light even harder and share what she has even more. I believe when you truly hold space for somebody, it's not about forcing them in any way, but it's about just holding space for their true light to shine through, to see them. And as I do this with people through many of my endeavors, from real results, to Nike, to all my clients, to the people I collide with on a daily basis, to warrior retreats. It's not really a verbal acknowledgement that I get. It's a physiological, it's a physiological uh, understanding. When I see a person's shoulders pull back a little bit more, their chin go a little bit higher, their energy shift on a, on, on a, on a subtle level and on a very superficial level. <laughs> And they know that even if the whole entire world is against them, there's one person there that believes 
that they matter. And sometimes that's all it takes. It goes back to my mom back when I was in the deep, dark pits of Eastside Vegas, believing in me enough to shine my light. And that light is taking me around the world and back. And so when I could do that for others, like I do and like I will continue to do and continue to challenge my peers who have power to do and use their powers for good, um, when I can do that for others, that's really what makes my heart sing. And as we, as, as Gandhi said, it's all about being the change, becoming the medicine. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. In the book Power Versus Force, he said uh, that one person operating out of love consciousness, pure love consciousness, is enough to bring millions of people out of those lower consciousnesses of fear, anger, shame, and guilt. So that's what it's about, man. It's about really just. So you 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 got you're in um, you have Ivy League blood now, right? Yeah. So you know there's the happiness GDP. Yeah. Right. You've yeah. heard of this, right? There's like a uh, I forget the nation, but they they actually have like a yeah, Denmark. Is it Denmark? Yeah. Um, and then there's like there's like books out there of like um, like ha- happiness, just like happiness in the workplace. Right. And how can we measure that? You know what what are the, the outputs on the type of metrics that we can really measure? Right happiness in the workplace and amongst people um we need to start a a love gdp man yeah you know like i'm sure you know we could get really geeky about it um without getting i love that totally hippie you know hippied out on it Um, but like a, a love gdp whether it's just your individual one um but you know you're connected to a network of people, right? Yeah. So how is that network? You know what? What's the output of love, really? Um, there's a lot of people doing yoga classes. They have cycling classes. They have all these things. Um, but um, you know, if love, everyone knows, or a lot of people know, that love is such a powerful energy, and it's I think one of the greatest one of all. Yeah. Why, where's the love class? Love is so, to not be of love, in love, spread love. Like, is, why can't we just talk about love? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, they, the, the, those who have created the status quo that our society runs off of really left out of, uh, an essential piece. Mm. But I think also that we are just like my rite of passage, my time in the dark. I believe humanity's time in the dark is there to teach us how important love is. Mm-hmm. And I believe where we are at, in history right now, and some people may say I'm idealistic, but I believe we're at this tipping point. I believe we're at this time where things are changing, this huge shift mm-hmm. where we realize that love is really the only answer and forgiveness which is a beautiful cousin of love because unless we do that nothing's ever going to change we now know that it's not about black white mexican chinese it's about it's about humanity Mm -hmm. it's not about religion and people are waking up in droves right now tapping back into that notion that you know what love love is it love is the answer all the great teachers i posted this on instagram recently uh-huh. So Jesus wasn't a Christian, Buddha wasn't a Buddhist, and Muhammad wasn't a Muslim. They were teachers that taught love. Love was their religion. 
That's it. All the teachers, all the great schools of thoughts, all the religious doctrines all say the same thing. Love, the golden rule, compassion, and give thanks. And forgive, which is essentially extending love to somebody mm -hmm. and to yourself. Mm -hmm. Ms. Dre always talks about self-love. Love is not cliche. It's, 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 ne it's, necessary. it's a necessity. It really is. It really is. And yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, absolutely. I think if, um, you know, self-love, I think, is, is, um, is definitely one of the, you know, first steps. Because if you're not loving yourself, I mean, how could you even, you know, share any percent of love to anyone else, exactly. you know, in a truthful way, in a meaningful way? Um, yeah, you know, I think I think uh, having love classes is uh, is uh, is love needed, that. man. Because like people also they don't understand what love is. They they they, they, they parents the way they interact with their kids they think love is a something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they think it's. I mean, that's that's one one category. <laughs> that's one segment, right, of love. And there's different segments of love, right? How you interact with other people. That, that's an that's an interesting topic. We'll we'll save that for the next <laughs> podcast when you come back from Peru. Respect. Uh, are you coming back from Peru? Or are you gonna stay there? You know who knows. <laughs> I freed I freed my energy, man. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm letting. I'm trusting the flow. Right on. I'm trusting the the path. Right on. Got a beautiful platform at the moment. You know what I mean. Uh, all the push-ups that I put in over the years. Mm -hmm have uh, created the ability to really choose the next step. So we have, um, you know, different um, sort of, you know, characters and people that, that tune in to um, this podcast. And I think it'd be pretty cool, actually, to, you know, some of them are entrepreneurs, they're athletes, a lot of athletes, um, you know, entrepreneurs, so they genuinely understand you know grit and yeah. uh being in situations where um that are very challenging right or being in an environment where people are like saying uh you know you're crazy or you know don't do that right like a lot of negativity maybe right. um how would you diffuse you know maybe to give back um, to our listeners a, a tip or something right how, how would you diffuse uh negativity because we were talking about love and peace and happiness and all the great stuff but how do you diffuse Right. negativity from another human or an environment that is negative that's obviously probably made up of humans groups of right. humans right um how, how do you how do you diffuse that how have you been able to do that the negativity is rooted in perception and perception is rooted in one's viewpoint. Perception is rooted in one's worldview. So as long as one can understand that at any given time, in any given situation, in any given room, in any, in any given environment, there are multiple realities to tap into. There are ones of lack and there are ones of abundance then when somebody comes at you with some hate, a little haterade, with some negativity, when you can understand that that's only one of many realities happening there at that moment, you can diffuse it in the sense that 
it is only true if you accept it to be truth. Mm -hmm. It's only real if you empower it as real. There's also realities of abundance that you can tap into at any given moment. Negativity is never about you. It's about them. Mm. And so the key is to focus on your why and remember that you are the sum total of the five people you put yourself around. So as Steve Jobs said, surround yourself with the dreamers, the doers, the paradigm shifters, those that truly believe in you and that see you even when you don't see the best in yourself. That's the key. What is your why? My why, my deep-rooted why is to vibrate from a place of love and through that vibration empower people to step into their power. This is Brandon Collinsworth, people. Real human being. Real G. You gotta meet him. Reach out to him. Say hello. You know, he's uh, totally open to speaking to anyone on this planet. Um, where can people reach you at, man? The best place to reach me is Instagram, at Brandon Collinsworth, or email me, Brandon at, B-R-A-N-D-E-N, at real, that's R-E-A-L, results, R-E-S-U-L-T-S, fitness.com. And uh, yeah, join the tribe. Let's fly. There's been a lot of people in your life, right? Yeah. Before we close and we end this out, is there anyone that you'd like to give a shout out to? Thanks, high five, whatever. Yeah. Um, hit it. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, Pablo. Grassi is my brother. Yeah, respect, man. man. Always, yeah, brother. Yeah, it's always cool to be seen. Always, man. It's always cool to vibe with uh, somebody who's on similar frequencies. You're doing a lot of amazing stuff. Uh, you're a magical dude. I, uh, dude, I appreciate thank your you, philosophy. Man. I appreciate the work that you do behind the scenes that nobody sees but reverberates and resonates to the outside world. And I think that's something that is really important to tap into the listeners. I want to leave it at that. Is like. It's not about who you are on the outside in the external world or expression. It's about who we are behind closed doors. And although sometimes we may think we're alone, it's what we do when we're all by ourselves that really ends up being the expression that the outside world sees. So make it pure and make it powerful, make it real, and rooted in rituals and rooted in love. And I, I feel you, man. I feel you, Pablo, and, I, and I'm Thank thankful, you, brother. Bro. Fought yeah. your brother, man. Fought your brother, your brother, your brother, your brother, your brother bro, all day. <laughs> I want to give a shout out to uh, you know Shane Stewart, man, for letting us vibe out here in his beautiful Absolutely, restaurant, man. Panacea. Shane's a light. Another one of my brothers that just sees me, allows me to truly shine in my light without ever dimming it. My brother Dre Gardner, um, Yogi, big brother, my big brother Huge Dre star. Gardner. Huge yeah, star. that's my guy, and. Uh, uh, I want to give it up to two other people, Marky Henderson. Marky Henderson, she's my my behind the scenes light that holds me down and really gives me a lot of a lot of support and love. Uh, a lot of people don't know the power she is, but she is a, a 
a star in every sense. And then, you know, I got to give it up to my mom, man. My mom, 63 years old, still lives at her rundown trailer. I'm hoping I can eventually buy her a house. Lives at her trailer on the east side of Vegas. Wakes up every morning, tends to her garden, goes to church, leads her Bible study, and holds space and lives from the heart and leads with the heart, man. And, and I got to give it up for her because that always keeps me humble, keeps me rooted. It's beautiful, man. Yeah. Beautiful, dude. Um, thanks so much, man, for, for just uh, being you, you know, being you, man. And uh, I can't wait to go to Peru with you at some point. You know, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Couldn't happen this 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 oh, one, right? But it's going to happen, man. It's going to happen. Uh, we're going to go deeper in Peru when we go. Oh, dude, we're going to spatial, bro. <laughs> we're going to, like, spatial. yo, I'm not, like, we're on, a, we're on a different curriculum when you go to Peru, bro. <laughs> spatial, man. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's been wonderful, um, having this, this experience, man, and, and learning more about you, learning from you in such a short amount of time. I've learned a tremendous, uh, amount about myself, actually, you know, whether you know, or you don't. Um, so I, I really, I am a true believer in, um, in what you're doing and, and what your mission and knowing, you knowing what your why is like. I, I'm I'm uh, I'm all in, right behind you. Anything you need, bro, for me, uh, you you have my full support. Um, so so yeah, you know, if you guys have the opportunity to meet Brandon or be involved in any any of his projects, I know you're doing some awesome stuff with kids in Peru. Um, definitely reach out to him. You know, I'm sure donations are always welcome of any kind, whether it's like physical work or um, you know some USD currency. Or, or whatever currency you can lay out there. Solist. Solist, man, you know. <laughs> um, so yeah, man, reach out, be seen, interact, you know, and, and explore. Keep on exploring. So thank you, man. Thank you, brother. Boom. All right, brother. Much love to everyone that turned in into this episode of Devotion Freeze with Brandon Collinsworth. I actually recorded this episode with Brandon late last year while well, he was flowing through a lot of life changes. And it's so good to hear that Brandon is currently holding space in Bali during his residency with TED Talks. Definitely stay tuned to our collaborations with Brandon in 2018. I see, I see a lot of cycling and meditation retreats in deep Peru coming up with Brandon in the very new future. So let's make it happen, world. Peru, 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 here we come. And just want to throw out to Brandon, the purest and happiest vibes, and may your path flow like the river of Urubamba. Thanks again for tuning in, guys. Next week, we're going to be dropping into flow again with Shane Stewart from my favorite plant-based restaurant in Las Vegas, Panacea. Actually, Shane went to Brandon's warrior retreat last year, so if you're in town, if you're in the city, of Las Vegas, stop by his space, give him a hug, and share a powerful moment. The guy's rad. Uh, remember, get at me on Instagram, guys. Pablo I. Quiroga. I'm on Snapchat. You know where to find me digitally. Stay tuned to our fuel page on Fuel Talk. We're going to have some extra exploratory fuel for all of our podcast shows. Remember, crush your ego, devote your life to your inner passions and get free. And now, enjoy the meditation experience 
brought to you from the lovely Sanam. Sit comfortably or lie down. Close your eyes and visualize your body. Breathe comfortably. And on your next inhale, breathe into your heart. Feel the rhythm of your heart as you breathe out. You may breathe out through your nose or mouth, whatever feels good to you. And now visualize the light of the sun. Feel the heat that radiates on your body. And on your next inhale, breathe in the light of the sun into your jaw and let the warmth radiate through any tension you may be holding there. Just let it go. And as you breathe in again, this time into your hips, allow your breath to bring in the golden light of the sun. And as you breathe out, allow this light to radiate through every tissue, releasing tensions, repairing rejuvenating and now breathe in again and this time send your breath to your knees and let the sunlight radiate on and through your wonderful knees let the golden light be there as you breathe out and release any tensions any worries, any fears, let them off your knees. Now breathe into your feet. Bring the golden light as you breathe into your wonderful feet. Let it radiate through every cell as you breathe out the golden sunlight through every cell in your feet. Now visualize yourself surrounded by a halo of golden light. You'll feel your body growing warm. And if you have tension, let the golden light go there as you breathe naturally, comfortably safely and continue to breathe and allow the golden light of the sun to naturally and gracefully nourish your limbs, your mind. Send the golden light of the sun to any area that needs repairing. Breathe into that area of the golden light of the sun. Breathe out and allow this light to nourish your body. 
continue to breathe as you come back to your heartbeat. Breathe easefully. You slowly wiggle your toes and gently open your eyes.